there's a lot of problems that we're working on today that biology has its own uh, pretty masterful answers to. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Mitchell Awerwo, welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks so much. You're the co-founder and CEO at Cambrium, a materials company utilizing the molecular programmability of proteins to reimagine the products we use every day. That sounds like a real breakthrough technology that's going to change our lives. We're going to talk about that in a second. Before we do so, I want to start with your university, with your study background, basically. You were actually enrolled in university for a total of 10 years and studied everything from computer science to biology to molecular imaging. Which questions intrigued you to study all of these very different things? Yeah, I guess... Um, yeah, these are pretty general subjects. I think it really stems from my, my childhood, really. Uh, so my parents were both biologists, and I grew up surrounded by their university books. Um, when I was a kid, I used to live in Iowa um, and then Ohio, and the ground there is like an ancient seabed, basically. And mm -hmm. they were putting in like new housing developments, um, near my house and they'd have these huge dirt mounds um, where they had basically done all of the paleontological digging for me right so i just went around collected fossils looked at them um <laughs> and that was super cool collected insects uh as a kid um and i guess like later on i started to realize that biology was much much more complicated when you when you started to look at it um and go through it with a fine-tooth comb so mm -hmm. uh yeah, then when I got to university, uh, I had a roommate um, and I kind of absentmindedly said to him that I'd like to learn programming and he got super excited and was like, I've always wanted to teach somebody. Um, so that kind of got started. The very first thing that I coded was actually uh, taking DNA and turning it into protein. So maybe it was a bit of foreshadowing. Wow. Um, yeah. And yeah, just became interested in how we can kind of like tame these complexities of biology and of life um, using mm -hmm. computational approaches. Wow. So you really did follow your natural curiosity in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also a, a legend that we read when we did the prep work for this uh, conversation that during your bachelor's, you actually were running a coffee shop out of your own dorm room. So can you talk a bit more about how that happened and how you actually executed this? Yeah, I mean, I was just uh, drinking a lot of coffee in college and uh, I decided to buy a rather expensive coffee maker uh, in order to recoup the investment. Um, I detached the bookcase from my desk and turned it on its side uh, to make like a standing table and started mm -hmm. serving coffee whenever I was in my room. Um, and I was a touch cheaper than anywhere else on campus and was open much later. So uh, I drank coffee for free that year, basically. That's amazing. So you basically had two very strong USPs to uh, capture the market. <laughs> yep. And back in the day, like uh, having even having a Facebook page, you know, where you can you can do yeah. your uh, promotions was was very good. Amazing. Yeah. So I would then wonder, you know, with all that university and the, the studies that mm -hmm. you did, was it ever an option for you to become an academic, a researcher yourself? 
Uh, I really wanted to become an academic. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I entered academia because I wanted to teach. Uh, I think a lot of people do this. Um, it's not really the way that academia works, as I came to find out. I mean, people had even told me, but I had just, I'd had so many really great teachers and professors um, and kind of desired to be like them. Um, but in the end, it turns out that it's about writing research grants to fund the university um, more than it is about contributing to education. And this really didn't jive with uh, how I saw my future life playing out. And so I decided to mm -hmm. leave. Yeah. And then, you know, with the coffee shop, that was basically an entrepreneurial experience by itself. Yeah. Where does your entrepreneurial drive come from? Did you have any entrepreneurs in, in your family that sort of motivate or inspired you to pursue that path and say, hey, now I actually want to go and, and start my own startup company? Or where does that drive come from? When you ask this, I guess it, it kind of comes to mind, my, my parents. Um, so my dad and mom, uh, with some friends, um, started a brewery back mm -hmm. when I was a kid. So I grew up kind of in this brewery and uh, cleaning the tanks and giving tours and uh, so on. And my dad also ended up working in uh, different pharma startups. Uh, and also, I mean, I guess kind of just growing up in America, you grow up in a country that reveres this type of activity. Um, right. But for me, I think it's really like... When I get up in the morning, I'm really desiring to build a great team and interact with our team. Um, and that that's really what uh, where my motivation lies, I think. Great. And then actually, you did start your own company in 2020. You founded Cambrium uh, together with Charlie Cotton as your co-founder. Yeah. Um, you were actually, first you became, before you founded your company in 2019, you became an entrepreneur in residence at the startup incubator Morantix. We know Adrian, uh, one of the founders, he's been a serial guest on the show already a, f a few times. So how do you actually get in touch with Morantix and then also move from the US to Berlin? Because that's, you know, that's quite a step. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, kind of to set the record straight there, I was most of my adult life in Europe. So I was in, uh, in London for two years and then uh, was five and a half years in the west of Germany in a city called Münster. Um, mm -hmm. before I moved to Berlin. And so I had already been in Berlin um, before I actually got in contact with Morantix. Um, but basically, I had spent several months looking into applications of synthetic biology at the interface um, to computation and specifically machine learning. Um, and it was summer in Berlin. I had been un unemployed <laughs> for two weeks <laughs> and was laying under a tree in uh, Tempelhofer Feld uh, with a friend. And I was just like scrolling through LinkedIn jobs because um, he was also unemployed. We were both just scrolling through LinkedIn jobs. And I found this EIR uh, position at Morantix, which is a ML incubator. And uh, so I took out my laptop, tethered, sent off an application within 20 minutes. Uh, I thought it was a, a cool opportunity. And where do you then take it from there? Because as an entrepreneur residence, you probably look into different startups, etc. How do you then yeah. make the switch to really start your own company? Yeah, so I, I mean, when I joined uh, them, it was really with the ambition to, to start my own company. So yeah. I looked at a few different things, um, but I was already kind of thinking about how do we uh, create new materials um, or create basically new like replacements 
for mm -hmm. for things using synthetic biology. But in the end, I ended up really deciding that um, materials was what I wanted to focus on. And um, and it wasn't just me, right? Like we, I also had our, our head of business development, um, Ruben was working with me at the time, um, as well as Charlie at, at the point that we spun out, um, we had already known each other for six months. So uh, it was really a, a team effort to end up coming up with this idea um, and going on to pursue it. And please also talk a bit about how you met Charlie. So that was part of the of the program, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, uh, so <laughs> I met him through a mutual friend. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, so Max Mund, um, who co-founded the German Association for Synthetic Biology, and mm -hmm. he now works for another great startup in the symbio space. Um, but as part of his previous company, he was uh, looking for a lab to work in and uh, did some lab work. Um, with Charlie then, and uh, he thought that we would be a good match, and, and he was right. And what actually makes that good match? What makes you a strong co-founding team? Yeah, I think Charlie's very creative, uh, and I also really appreciate like the way that when he goes into a room, um, he really knows kind of what to say and, and exactly how to, to read a room really quickly. Um, so that's, that's really nice, uh, great traits to have. Absolutely. Let's also talk a bit about the, the market that you're actually active in. So one thing that, that you say with, with Cambrium is basically biology is the most advanced technology on earth. Mm -hmm. Can you explain a bit more what you exactly mean by this? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, when I say this, uh, it's not like, you know, pointed toward any particular market. Uh, I think really I'm I'm thinking about the things that biology has solved. I mean, there's a lot of problems that we're working on today that mm -hmm. biology has its own uh, pretty masterful answers to. So like we're trying to, and we're actually, we work with robots, but people try to build robots. Um, biology has robots, you know, nano or little micro robots in terms of microbes all the way up to sentient beings like us. Mm -hmm. um, and like swarm intelligence people are working on, but like, Bees do that anyway, right? Uh, ants right. do that anyway. And people are working on carbon removal, but like biology made like a, an MVP in cyanobacteria and did some further development, got some algae, packaged the technology and differentiated into different markets, I guess is what I would think of, and, and made like plants or the kelp in the sea. Um, yeah. And so it's really scaled carbon renewal, uh, carbon removal and utilization like around the world. And so I think um, it's pretty cool that uh, what all you can do with biology or what all biology has already achieved. Yeah, something that you might not even think about if you are not from that field that you would yeah. heavily underestimate that area. That yeah, yeah. biology topic and in that regard, the problem that you also solve to a certain degree is the pollution and the unethical sources of material. Please elaborate a bit more. But what are the use cases that you actually, you know, have today and how can Cambrim help us to replace those unethical and polluting sources of material? Yeah, that makes sense. So materials represent like 23% of greenhouse gas emissions. And wow. if you look around you right now, you're probably surrounded by materials that are gouged from the earth, pumped from the ground, sliced from the bodies of animals. 
And in 2020, the weight of man-made materials came to outweigh all the biomass in the earth. That's every human, fish in the sea, cow in a field, bacteria, fungus in soil, and all that man-made material had to come from somewhere. And we're not like putting it back when we're done. Like <laughs> when you mine the hills, they don't they don't go. Oh, okay, we're we're kind of done now. Let's just patch it up. Um, right. And so, really, we're we're working to move from an extractive way of creating materials into a more generative one. And so we're using proteins because proteins are basically the, the operating system of biology um, and we can produce them using precision fermentation, which means that we know our inputs, we know our outputs, we know how sustainable this process is. Um, and we're working together with product innovators in order to disrupt their industries. Mm -hmm. um, and so we see proteins as enablers for sustainable materials. Our first uh, one is collagen for, uh, for skincare. And we're mainly focused on the cosmetics realm right now. But then we're moving into more fashion use cases and, and on into other industries after that. Wow, that's impressive. And let's also get a bit technical for people like me who don't have this biology background. How can you actually make proteins pr programmable? I mean... It sounds mind-blowing, so I want to know how that works. Cool. Yeah, so proteins are made up of 20 amino acids. Uh, and you can kind of think of them as primitives if you're in, into programming. Um, so you're just putting them into different orders, and you get completely different material properties. And you can already think of this like your skin uh, is made up of principally collagen and elastin. Your hair is made up of keratin. They're completely different materials. You know, one ends up uh, as like a leather. The other one ends up as perhaps wool, right? Uh, if you're talking about skin or, or hair. Um, mm -hmm. And and we we know what those, those materials feel like. They feel completely different. And they're still made of the same 20 amino acids. So um, in 2020, the grand challenge of biology was solved, uh, the protein folding problem. And we write protein code and test it in silico um, using the newest models and uh, molecular dynamic simulations. And then we can test protein designs um, that we make in the computer uh, in our lab. And so basically by trying out different combinations, um, we are able to then produce new proteins with uh, novel functionalities. Well, that certainly does sound mind-blowing. Can you explain a bit more? You mentioned collagen as your first application, basically. So how do you make that one both vegan and sustainable with your process? Cool. Yeah, so we take uh, a sequence for human collagen and, and put it into uh, a yeast. Um, so mm -hmm. usually collagen that you find in cosmetics would be coming from a boiled skin of a pig or a cow. Um, they call it hydrolyzed collagen, but that's really what people are putting on their face. And um, our product is 100% human match, hypoallergenic, uh, and we use a yeast and a fermentation process to produce it. So it's similar to brewing beer, um, <laughs> and it takes much less carbon to keep some yeast cells alive and happy for, you know, a few days or a couple of weeks than it does uh, to keep a pig or a cow happy for one to two years absolutely are there any drawbacks in in the process of of yours 
or any challenges from a consumer or product perspective? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that, you know, it's sincerely a lot easier than, than trying to raise a pig or a cow. Of course, um, yeah. And then, you know, boil it. Um, so I think, you know, there's maybe a challenge right at the beginning of, of designing it and, and scaling it up, but we've done that. So I think yeah. uh, I'm very excited to see uh, what next year brings. Absolutely. And who are your customers for that collagen uh, product mm-hmm. that you're putting out there? Is it mainly, you said, I think cosmetics or beauty industry? Yep. Yep. So we work with uh, innovators, premium brands, and uh, they basically set the trends, right? So mm-hmm. um, at this time, we serve select brands, um, two main customer segments. Uh, but basically, the outcome is the same. We enable them to increase their potential market size. And for premium brands who currently use animal-derived collagen, they can't access customers who are interested in the fastest growing trends of clean, vegan, and sustainable beauty. And for premium vegan brands, they can't take advantage of this like recognizability and anti-aging properties of collagen. Um, Mm -hmm. I was told by one brand, even my grandmother knows about collagen, and so we let vegan brands expand, expand their um, potential market too. Wow, amazing. And I'm not sure if you are able to, to share any of the data here, but how do your sales look at the moment? Is that like your main revenue source? Yeah, so we're currently working with innovative early adopters and they've signed with us um, and have the right to the first samples. And we're gonna enter the market with those early adopters next year. Okay, great. And why was collagen the first product that you launched there? Is it like more technology driven where you said, hey, this is what you can actually do with your technology? Or was it also very much market and need driven from the suppliers to cosmetic brands or a mix of the two? Uh, So, I mean, we went through a a whole process. I think if we go back to when we founded the company, uh, we set out our why. We were like, we are going to make materials that matter. And um, this is mattering to our customers in terms of performance and being able to innovate, um, Mm -hmm. but also mattering to the environment. And for mattering to the environment, you need scale to have an impact. And we would love to go straight to the end goal and work on things like plastic packaging. Um, But we learned from previous biotech companies that you really need to have an impact from day one. You need customers from day one. You need sales um, and you need feedback. And so at the beginning, we found that, you know, those products are a bit too cheap and plentiful to compete with at this early stage um, when we were just Mm -hmm. starting out. So we went for an application that had the desired volumes, price and demand that we can serve today um, as our technology scales. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And in, in that regard, I also wonder, you know, if you go into a market, an existing market with your new innovation, with the new technology, is it sometimes difficult to educate the market and to tell them, hey, you actually need this, this is why it's so much better? Or is there already a, a better understanding out there and also more of a, a need and demand for your solution? At least for the the first collagen product, um, there was basically just market pull. People were asking wow. us, can you make this, right? And we said, yeah, yeah, we can. (laughs) Um, But for kind of 
the way that we've been looking at markets, um, we're not in the business of just going and like replacing products. We provide material innovation and we provide novel materials, novel functionalities. And so we've been pairing with innovators who are open to working with us on a new use case. Um, and mm -hmm. in the end, once they've entered the market, um, they're going to redefine those industry standards and force legacy players to either adapt or perish. And that's really what we're hoping to catalyze. So working with innovators means that um, we're working together to solve a material pain point that they already have, rather than trying to, you know, push something into the market right. um, with much larger players who generally don't want to move, right? And mm -hmm. um, But they're basically the ones that, uh, that we're looking to redefine. Yeah, and I assume with the you know the the pull of the market, that's also putting you in a much better position to develop faster and to also show traction much much faster. For sure, for sure. So basically, now I live in in Berlin in in Germany, but you obviously you have American roots. So I also wonder, you know, was it ever for you an option to start your company in the U.S. or was it always very clear to say no, I want to stay in Europe and I want to have my company located in Berlin? Yeah, I. You know, I've been in uh, Europe for quite some time now. And uh, so I was really happy to be here. And this is also where Charlie was. Um, and so when we decided to start the company, um, we are really leaning on some of the positives that uh, Europe can bring. Not only for our first three industries, does Europe actually have the larger market share, um, but also there, in Germany, there's a large manufacturing history, right? And so we can really look toward a history of, of material innovation and manufacturing here. Uh, and I think as well, there's really undervalued talent. And the team that we built has been a testament to that for sure. Um, so mm -hmm. our team has come from all over Europe. And actually, we've been attracting some talent from the UK, from the US, um, who are really happy to come here and live um, and and build this uh, big Cambrian experience with the rest of us. Fantastic. And do you have any asp aspirations of entering the U.S. market with your company? So, I mean, we are definitely uh, speaking to U.S. companies as well. It's the second biggest market, uh, I would say, uh, for, for many different applications that we're looking at. Um, and so... We'd be very excited um, to enter the U.S. market. Um, it's definitely something where I would be comfortable. Um, but uh, and it obviously also opens up a different talent pool. Um, but this is definitely something that we will uh, look at in the future, but is not going on for now. Great. So, yeah, that is actually a very exciting future ahead, right? You know, yeah. you have the, the first client signed up. You're about to launch products with them. Maybe there's even international expansion coming after that. So it is a very interesting future. And if you project very, very far down the future and say, okay, we're actually able to survive the climate change and solve it in a, in a good way. From your perspective, how radically different will the world be if you could also contribute to that, say, two generations from now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be massively different, right? Like... I believe humanity will survive climate change. Uh, for me, the question is more, what does that world look like? And mm -hmm. uh, will we be thriving or barely hanging on in some survivable pockets somewhere? 
Um, I think the general consensus seems to be that we need to create a more circular economy. And this is the grand challenge of our generation. Um, mm. I would say my honest belief is that I think people two generations from now will look back at this time and not be able to recognize themselves in it. I, my grandfather was telling me uh, about growing up before his home was electrified and he would read books and see films about the future. And I would say largely all the dreams from the comics and so on came true. We can fly, we can communicate instantly. Um, we can scan deep within the body without using a scalpel. Um, people are using drones to plant trees and fight fires. We live in the future, right? Um, but when I look at what people dream about in the future now, it's like cityscapes that are green and renewable, trash mm -hmm. that sorts itself and that we can use again. Um, and for some people, I think that they, uh, they really care about uh, people on other planets. Uh, I'm more of a, you know, scuba diver, like, uh, I think the ocean is, is, is more interesting to me. Um, but I think we'll probably get all those things that I mentioned mm -hmm. previously, because that's what humanity does. We dream and then we go make it happen. The question is simply like, can we do it in time? Can we disrupt these incumbent industries that hold us back from our future uh, mm -hmm. before the planet we live on, like cleans us out? Um, like, do we go from being a parasite sucking the life out of the earth uh, or more to a mutualism and a positive symbiosis in time. Wow. Yeah, that's deep. Very well said. I like that. <laughs> and I also wonder what is next for you, Mitchell, personally? I mean, of course, you're fully focused and dedicated to make Cambrium a success. But uh, on a personal level, what, what is next for you? What have you planned? Uh, I mean, we're going to keep on pushing, right? Uh, I think we've got our eyes and our robots on some further materials. Uh, and I think as well, I'm really looking forward to uh, expanding our team, um, continuing to grow that amazing team. Um, me, what do I have planned? Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, moving house here in a couple of months. That, that'll be nice. nice. So, yeah. Enough stuff happening on all fronts. Fantastic. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so to wrap up our episodes, we usually prepare some rapid fire questions. So I either give you different options to choose from or a simple question and you have to okay. answer in one sentence. Oh boy. You ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. Are you rather safe or sorry? False dichotomy. Take measured risks or uh, probably above average risks. And then in yeah. terms of being sorry, like if I've done something wrong, should probably admit fault and work on it. Got it. Academic or entrepreneur? Um, I would say entrepreneurs take great academic work and bring it to the world. So both yeah. are great. Great combination. Bootstrapping or fundraising? Fundraising. Bootstrapping this company wouldn't change the material world in time. And what's the most effective way to reach an audience in advertising context in that regard to also get more clients, for example, from your experience? Uh, I don't think I can do this in a sentence because I would sure. say that we focus on three different segments that we try to communicate with. Um, but the, the key is to share valuable content um, that's engaging to your target audiences um, yeah. and don't talk about yourself too much. 
like that. And the last one, Europe or North America? <laughs> Why not both? <laughs> if you had to choose one, which one would you choose? I'm giving you a hard time today. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Okay. Yeah. Very diplomatic. Almost a Swiss answer. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned. No, great. Hey, Mitchell, thank you so much for coming on the show. Lots of success and all the best with Cambrian and for the future. We're really excited to follow your journey and see what you're building. Thanks, Silva. You have a wonderful day. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs.